Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Still followed, of course, about the trade negotiations. Uh, NAFTA Part 2, Son of NAFTA, whatever you want to call it, the USMC uh, deal that uh, that was struck eventually, of course, between Canada, Mexico, and the United States. Uh, and the contentious issue, of course, is supply management and the impact it's going to have on the dairy industry on this side of the border. Once the deal was announced uh, a few weeks ago now, of course, uh, there was an immediate pushback from the dairy industry saying, look, this is going to be problematic, it's it's punitive, and it's going to have a mu- huge, huge impact on dairy farmers. Well, uh, they have uh, decided to push back and have begun a buy-local dairy campaign, uh, which is, of course, because of the USMCA deal that was struck, and they think that if we can convince uh, Canadian consumers to simply buy Canadian products, that that could mitigate some of the potential damage. Let's bring Marvin Ryder into the conversation. Business professor at the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. Marvin, thanks for the time. How are you doing this morning? Uh, how can I not be great on a day like today? I know. It's summertime again. This is fabulous. It is. <laughs> Loving this. Native, native, uh, native Canadian summer, or whatever the politically correct <laughs> term is. Uh, just warm. That's what I'm using. Okay. Uh, that way I'm not going to hurt anybody. Uh, so, and speaking of, is the sun shining on dairy farmers again? Is this the solution that they need? Well, let me, let me just do a couple of things for context here, Bill. R- remember, we have signed a USMCA. That was the big celebration a little over a week ago. But now it has to be ratified. So just because three people shook hands doesn't mean anything. It's got to be ratified by the Mexican government. The hope is that will be done by December 1st. Then it has to be ratified by the American government. It's already been told that the current Congress, though they may hold some hearings on it, are not going to ratify it. It will be the incoming Congress elected in November. And so I don't expect they're going to ratify it until early 2019, maybe March or April. And about that same time period is when Canada will ratify it. So for the moment, we're still operating under the old rules. That means there's no more American milk in our market today than there was the day before that or the day before that. I feel in a way then that the farmers are trying to jump the gun. Now I get where they're coming from as as we've been watching this summer evolve. And of course, Donald Trump uh, put tariffs on steel and aluminum and then threatened tariffs on automobiles and, of course, threatened tariffs on just about everything else. There was a little upsurge in interest in buying Canadian. You heard a lot of people saying, well, I'm not, I'm not going to buy that Heinz ketchup. I'm going to buy that, that French's ketchup because it's proudly made in Ontario with Ontario tomatoes. So there's a little uptick. So I think this is what they're trying to piggyback on. But I have to tell you that you would actually be hard-pressed to find a dairy product that isn't made in Canada or, turn it around, that is made in the United States. Uh, Today, American dairy only accounts for 3.25%. 3.25 percent of the total and most of that is milk that is we call it industrial milk it comes into canada it doesn't hit us consumers directly instead it goes to places gets processed gets turned into yogurt and ice cream and cheeses and in that processing of american milk suddenly it becomes canadian yogurt and canadian cheese and canadian ice cream because the processing happened here I think you'd be hard-pressed to find any American products. So I get what they're trying to do, but it just doesn't feel like it's going to be that necessary. Well, with that in mind, then, why the big fuss? Why the big furor here? I mean, you know, we're hearing them talking about, you know, the farms going out of business and they're not going to be able to sell their product. Uh, It sounds as if this isn't going to have a significant impact on the market. 
Yeah, so again, two, two answers to your question, Bill. Uh, when the dust settles, so when USMCA is completely ratified and the new rules uh, come into effect, in terms of dairy, specifically milk and cheese, what have you, the American content is going to go from 3.25% of the market to 3.60% of the market. Now, yes, yes, you know, that's an increase of 10%, maybe even 15%, but as a fraction, it's 0.35% of the market it's hardly going to be noticeable out there. And so I, I have to say candidly, I think what this is more about, though, is trying to defend the supply management. During the negotiations on USMCA, certainly over the summer, there were lots and lots from people who said, well, you know, maybe maybe it's time to scrap supply management altogether. Most people listening to us, Bill, don't remember that uh, Stephen Harper's plan to modernize NAFTA was not to negotiate a new NAFTA, but instead something called the Trans-Pacific Partnership that uh, contained the United States, Mexico, and Canada. It also had nine other countries, but we'll modernize there. And in that agreement, our Prime Minister, Stephen Harper, had agreed to phase out supply management completely over a 10-year period and move more to an open free market. Compared to what we might have had <laughs> under Trans-Pacific Partnership, the, the little bit that Justin had to give up to allow this deal to happen, it, it just doesn't feel like going to the bat and protesting to me. I, just, I really don't understand it, except if you see it as the start of a slippery slope. Sure, it's 0.35% today, and it'll be... 1% tomorrow will be 5% the day after that. The next thing you know, supply management's gone. I think this is more about, you know, giving confidence and, and drawing a line and trying to keep a system in place than it is really about American competition. You know, the irony about that is, uh, as you know, Stephen Harper's got a new book out, and I just saw some excerpts from it yesterday, and he's defending supply management in that book and saying it's essential for, for the, the dairy industry and for the economy in this, can, in this country. Uh, so I guess he's basically saying, forget what I said back then. Uh, just Here's what I printed now. Okay, that's going to be my legacy. But anyway, the, uh, not the first time there's been an incongruity from a politician. <laughs> but, but, it, it's got, no, but it's got people's heads spinning, Marvin, because you figure, well, who's right and who's wrong here? Because they seem to, 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 to you know, f fluctuate from p position to position on this, and, and p people in the industry and parse people on the political side. Well, I, I have to say, again, I teach at a business school. I'm actually a fan of supply management. Now, let me try to quickly explain why that is. We don't have individual farmers competing against other individual farmers. That's quite different in the United States. If I can squeeze in 10 more cows and beat my competitor to the market, even if the farm down the road, I'm going to do that. I really like the idea that we don't, we don't have one farm competing against the other. So how do we do that? We set quotas, and we say to each farm, here's how much milk you can produce, here's how much milk you can produce. And by the way, we do that for eggs and dairy, excuse me, eggs and chicken and turkeys. We do that in all of those situations so that we don't have one farmer competing against the other. Now, that works really well as long as you also control access to your market from imported products. And as Canada has tried to enter into new free trade deals, whether it's a free trade deal with Europe or the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or in this case, the United States, there are other countries who also have you know, dairy and chicken and turkey and what have you, they want access. So the trick for us is to say we can give you a little more access without necessarily dismantling the whole system. And I know, I know if I'm a farmer that any change from the status quo is a little shock to my nervous system. And, and I, I think, again, what the government's likely going to do, you'll probably hear this in 2019 rather than 2018, there will be some 
some grant programs for farmers. We'll call them farm modernization or farm efficiency programs that will allow them to, to just be better prepared for the increase in competition. But compared to what it might have been, I just think this is much ado about nothing. Because the picture that I think a lot of people painted in their minds when they heard about, uh, you know, the, the the doom and gloom that was coming from the industry about this is that, you know, once this deal is signed, as you mentioned, hopefully in a couple of months, uh, that our, our dairy shelves are going to be full of American product, and it's well, where's the Canadian stuff? Oh, it's it's way down there at the end, and I, I don't see that happening. Right. So now let's let's turn this around. The, the fact that they've come up with some uh, identifying logos is not a bad thing to to the, a consumer who says, "Well, I do want to buy Canadian. How do I recognize whether that bag of milk is Canadian or from another source without reading the fine print and getting my magnifying glasses on to find it?" I think it's a good idea to have a logo, and if that inspires a little national pride, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. So there's there's nothing wrong with what they're doing, and in fact, as they say, if it inspires consumers to buy Canadian, great. However, if the whole idea is to defeat the Americans at the supermarket shelf, we're just not going to see that. Uh, I, I believe uh, I was listening to some expert who talked about how America has a warehouse full of cheese. The American government buys cheese to keep the price reasonable in the United States. Oh, they'll ship that all to Canada. No, the American government doesn't do that. That cheese is there for emergency rations, and they ship it to people who are in the way of hurricanes and things like that. It has nothing to do with that. I don't think you're going to see a flood. The concern, and I think this is where the farmers really should have a concern, is labeling Canadian products that are made with American milk. That's not really part of their initiative, and I think that's the part that should worry them. Industrial milk coming into Canada, not getting put into bags and put on the shelf, but getting turned into ice cream and yogurt, how do you know, especially if it is manufactured at a Canadian facility, using Canadian workers, perhaps even mixed in with some Canadian milk, then, you know, should you be worried about that? And we don't have a way to identify that today. Well, and there, you're right. I mean, there are people that seek that out. And, and we, by the way, we're one of those families that said, yeah, I'm not buying that kind of ketchup anymore. We'll, we'll go with the French's. And, and I know a lot of folks have done that. Uh, so we get that. So I think there's already this buy Canadian mood when possible, but uh, not exclusively. And, and there's a story, in, I guess it's on the CBC website, about a, a American milk producer. It's called Fairlife Milk, and I guess it's, it's in America. But they've already got it apparently on some of the shelves in, in Canadian grocery stores. But uh, Coca-Cola owns this, and they say, look, we're going to actually build a plant in Canada, in Peterborough. Uh, so this is essentially going to be a Canadian product soon. So what's the big deal? I'm, and, and there, I guess that fits into the description you've just talked about, Marvin. Where you've got hybrid products like that. So I mean, are we right. being uh, are we being you know disloyal to Canadian uh, farmers if we buy those hybrid products? Yeah, and it's, I, it's I mean, employing I it's employing Canadians. It is, and, and, and it may be even made with some Canadian milk. It may not be exclusively American milk. Th- this is the reality when you start moving into free trade, that what is truly a Canadian product or a French product or a German product or an American product starts to blend. A simple example, Bill, is a Sony television set. Oh, my gosh, that's Japanese. Well, no, the television is assembled in Mexico. If you look at the component parts that go into it, there are parts from 42 countries around the world that get shipped to Mexico, get assembled, and then it's sold. What is it? It's, it's a little of this and a little of that. Even automobiles, given our, our, our borders and our trade and automobile parts, they're not exclusively Canadian. They may be assembled in Canada, but they aren't necessarily made with Canadian parts. And this is the reality in this world that we live in now, this freer trade world we live in. So I'm not for a moment suggesting we shouldn't buy Canadian and reward those people who go the extra effort to ensure that everything is Canadian. But on the other hand, something that is 
uh, assembled in Canada, manufactured in Canada, that's actually where the biggest value-added component of the product is. Just the fact that maybe the raw material came from the United States, I don't know if that's a reason to boycott it, because that, the jobs that it uses to manufacture, that's where the real value is. I want to reward that. How effective are these programs, Marvin, from a, a marketing standpoint? You know, buy this, buy that, buy Canadian. And because and we've heard this before, for instance, uh, in, in the wine industry, uh, you shouldn't be buying American or California wines. It should be, you know, Canadian wines altogether. And, uh, you know, you've got to do this to support the industry. And, uh, and, and I know some people that do adhere to that almost religiously, but others are simply saying, look, at, I'm the consumer. I'm going to buy what I want. You know, if I like that brand, I'm going to buy it. Right. So um, from an individual standpoint, these programs just really don't work. While there may be the odd person who becomes evangelical about it and really goes out of their way, it tends to be mostly a short-term thing. So for a few months, I want to send a signal to Donald Trump, so I I'd get that religion for two or three months, and I really check what I'm doing. But after a while, I, I just need some groceries. I go in, I've got, I'm in a rush. I just don't have the time, and it's very difficult for consumers to sustain one of these. Now, you've given a slightly different example. Um, this, uh, in terms of wine, uh, we have the LCBO that sells wine, and they have worked very hard to give Canadian products or Ontario products uh, preferential spaces so they're at eye level. You don't have to bend over to pick up a bottle, so on and so forth. And those do actually prove to be effective, but that's done by a retailer who makes an effort to help promote a Canadian product or an Ontario product. But if it's up to the individual consumer, most of us just cannot sustain this over time and and you i'm sure have also seen those wonderful bumper stickers you know keep buying american products guess where your jobs are going to go we we just don't and i have nice students here at the university that i teach and they'll get on uh, quite a rant one point about we need to buy canadian and i'll say where did that shirt come from well i got that at a store at the mall yes but where did that shirt manufactured People never check the labels. It's it's really hard to sustain that for any great length of time. Yeah, and that's marketing. You're right. I mean, you know, the, our, my local LCBO. You walk in there, the Canadian wine's right in front of you. Uh, it, you literally, it's it's there. If you want to go and get a bottle of red wine, you're probably going to go to that shelf because there is there's the red wine right there. But so convenient. But I also know that if you like Wolf Blast, you're going to walk right past that and go to the Australia section and buy your Wolf Blast. That's 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 simply the the, the freedom of, of choice that we have when we go in and, and shop like that. But I got to assume that the same thing is going to happen with dairy. Uh, but and, and wasn't Absolutely. that part of the argument when when, when there were uh, I guess it was the Harper government that was negotiating the European trade deal. I mean, uh, there are people that I know that are cheese fanatics that want European cheese, and they're saying, "Well, yeah, why can't we have a deal like this? I may buy Canadian from time to time, but if I'm having a party, I want European cheeses. I want choice. I want variety." Right. So, again, a quick example. When we had these very high tariffs on European cheeses, there became a market for Canadian versions of European cheeses. So a Canadian Camembert, a Canadian Brie, a Canadian Edom, a Canadian Gouda, they weren't made in those cities, they weren't made in those regions, but they were made to resemble those products. And because of the price differential, people said, well, you know, I like Gouda, but I don't want to pay... $12 a pound, I'll pay $3 a pound for the Canadian. Because of the New Deal, those cheeses are now able to enter our market with a much lower rate of duty, if any duty at all. And now the Canadian product has to work just a little harder to succeed. Uh, it still does succeed, and it's still in the market space, because, again, consumers' tastes have been, choi uh, have been developed, and you may like the taste of a Canadian Gouda rather than the real one from, from Holland. Uh, but th those are the choices you have. I just think you have to be able to modernize. And one of the problems when you put tariff barriers, 
and I wish Mr. Trump would understand this, you actually promote inefficiency of local government or local manufacturers. There's no need for them to get better in their competition because, look, I'm hiding behind a big trade barrier. Consumers aren't going to buy their products because of the higher prices. You actually promote inefficiency. So as we open our markets, we also have to incent people to become a little smarter, a little more efficient in what they're doing, and they can still compete, but it isn't necessarily business as usual. And that's what scares people. They like what they like. They like what they know. They don't want to have to change. Marvin Ryder at the DeGroote School of Business. Thanks a lot, Marvin. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Bill. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.